Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can having paranormal perceptions be a gift or a curse? Should parents take children's paranormal stories seriously? Do supernaturally sensitive people have more difficult lives? Hello and welcome to the 748th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those deep questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and dad, Paul. And uh, today we welcome back two dear friends to discuss some very personal areas of the paranormal life. And if we have any more alliterations, I'm going to lose my mind. That's the thing with me. I'm sorry. You grew up with it. (laughs) Oh, I know. It's now a part of my life, too. I alliterate everything. So we invite your calls today. Uh, Just one reminder, uh, our long-distance 800 number has been retired as, quote, legacy technology, unquote, uh, because nobody really needs it anymore because, you know, it's... You know, 2018 and 800 numbers aren't really a thing. So call us at 401-766-1240 from anywhere, as well as uh, monitoring emails. And don't forget about our Facebook page. You can message us on that as well. Lynn Nickerson and Willie Hassel are co-hosts of the long-running show Spirit Radio, The Paranormal Experience, Wednesdays, 10 to 11 p.m. Eastern, on WSCA-FM 106.1 in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and the Paranormal UK Radio Network. While very young, Lynn developed a lifelong interest in the paranormal from reading minds, uh oh, I'm in trouble, uh, precognitive thoughts and dreams to visions and out of body experiences. Unexplainable events have occurred throughout her life, and as if she hasn't had enough weird experiences, Lynn is a distant cousin of ours (laughs) through the uh, New England and Nova Scotia Nickerson families. Lynn is a technical writer, and her articles have appeared in newspapers, magazines, and on the net. Her recent book, Gateway to the Paranormal, True Personal Accounts of the Unexplained, is the center of our discussion today. After retiring from a 35-year career in the transportation industry, Willie Hassel devoted himself to lifelong interests, including travel, photography, and the paranormal. In 2010, he formed Spirit Chasers Paranormal, an investigation and research organization in Hampton, New Hampshire. His interests soon widened to include UFOs, Bigfoot, and other unexplained phenomena. In October 2013, Willie and Lynn teamed up to co-host the radio show, which now has listeners in over 30 countries. Most recently, the pair have hosted Edge of Reality TV, a monthly show for HC Media Television Productions in Haverhill, Mass. Websites include WillieHassel.net, Lynn Nickerson, that's Lynn M. Nickerson, that's Lynn with an E, uh, dot com, and PAUKRadio.com. So Lynn Nickerson and Willie Hassel, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Nice to be here, Ben and Paul. Yeah, thanks for coming all the way from the rock-bound coast, all drive two way. hours to be here. It's great. It's worth the trip. Thank you. Well, you we guys. try to make it worth the trip as well. Your cheery faces. <laughs> all right, so let's start off with something um, kind of, kind of, well, not easy, but, you know, we'll just start off the conversation. So, Lynn, when my dad uh, first saw the excerpts of your new book, uh, Gateway to the Paranormal, True Personal Accounts of the Unexplained, he said, Lynn wrote my story, too. So let's start with an overview of your life in the book. See, he told you it wasn't simple. Ah. Yeah, 25 <laughs> words or less. So. And Okay. okay. <laughs> um, well, ever since I was young, I started um, picking up on people not telling me the truth. I could read when they were telling me a lie, or just they, they weren't being entirely forthcoming. 
And then I had um, strange little experiences. One was when I was six, something gripped me at the back of the neck when I was sleeping. It woke me up and forced my face into the pillow. So this was something I wasn't imagining. And I flipped over, and there was nobody there. I never mentioned this to my family. And um, different odd things would happen. I had a couple of dreams as a child, as a 10-year-old, about UFOs. And... This came about the time of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, just a couple of months before then. Um, so it's kind of stuff that I kept to myself, although I will say that my mother was uh, very willing to discuss psychic things happening in her family. It was like a, a matrilineal thing, whereas my grandmother, Mame, um, she had some odd experiences. She would see ghosts, and she lived in many a haunted apartment. My grandmother did. So my mother was um, very upfront about it, but we didn't discuss it a lot. So what caused you to sort of embrace it? Hmm. It becomes part of your life, and when you start finding out that what you dreamt or thought you saw, other people have experienced similar things, you start um, remembering it. And then maybe looking it up or talking more. It's you know it's the mystery. You love everybody loves a good <clears throat> excuse me, good mystery. So I think that's what spurred me on is the mystical thing, mystical element yeah. of not knowing what this stuff was all about. No, it's like a like a search for truth almost. Yeah. Truly, Willie, um, what's your story when it comes to the paranormal, and how did you team up with Lynn? Um, well, I haven't been in the paranormal as long as she has by any means. It's more recent for me, probably the last uh, eight to ten years. Um, and it basically, i just just curious. Is there really any such thing as ghosts? I, I don't know. Is there really any such thing as UFOs? Well, I don't know. I'd kind of like to find out. Why don't you ask me? I can tell you. <laughs> well, and then I met you. There you go. <laughs> and uh, so so we met at the, the KRI Center, actually. Mm-hmm. In Stratton, New Hampshire, where we did right. a live right. broadcast from a few weeks right. ago. Right. When, when actually, this was when they were still in uh, Greenland before they moved. Uh, so that's where we met, and uh, we got the idea from there to do, to do the radio show. Yeah, we both had an interest of taking the engineering course for the radio show. You excelled at it. I didn't. <laughs> So you became the engineer. Uh, so that uh, the show premiered in October of 2013. So we're coming up to this October. But will be a five-year anniversary. Outstanding! Oh wow! Yeah. Congratulations! Yeah. Oh, thank thank you. you. I know you guys just had your ten-year. Yeah. Well, well, what are you gonna we'll, do? we'll we won't catch up either. Yeah. <laughs> well, you never know. Uh, you know. The multiverse and time not really well, existing. Yeah, that's a good possibility, happen, isn't exactly. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lynn, before we get into the actual gifts and experiences you've had, one of the things we run into in cases is parents who don't want to tell children what's going on. Not, not uh, always, yeah. and maybe yeah. less today than there, than there have been in the past. But one, it's very different. Children are not dumb. They don't miss anything. And they can tell when their parents are upset and they really have a... What, what's, your, what's your own approach to talking to... Children, uh, obviously in the presence of parents, we always would do that together and you arrange it, but what's your thought on that? That's a tough one because you want to protect your children Mm -hmm. 
and you don't want to tell them that, yeah, there are boogeymen out there. Something could jump out of your closet and scare you. Um, that's really tough. I think most important is a parent listening to a child and not discrediting what they say mm-hmm. and get details and talk about it with them because even as a parent, you may not know what's going on with them exactly and you might not experience what they're experiencing, but at least they know they can come to you. It's a shame because I know a lot of kids run to their parents' bedroom scared to death they can't sleep in their bed yeah. and they're told to go back to bed, stop dreaming, you know. That's really dismissive and I don't think it's a good idea. It depends on the age of the child, I think, and the psychological advancement of that child. As long as you've got a, a nurturing relationship with your child, I think they're much better off in facing their own little unknown. Yeah. Uh, Willie, do you have any thoughts on that? I know you're trying to take a picture. Sorry. I know. You, you caught me by surprise on that one. We do that on this show. You, is that what you do? Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you did. You did. Good job. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> How do you? Well, what do you feel about uh, honesty between parents and children when it comes to the paranormal? I mean, do you feel like you should be protected or you should be fully honest with them or, or what? Or, or something in between? Uh, yeah, probably something in between. Um, you, you definitely shouldn't hide anything from them, or if the children are having some something going on, you, you don't want to uh, tell them, "Oh no, there's no such thing," and then have them go up later and find out that, "Well, yeah. mommy and daddy were lying to me." But it's it's kind of a balancing act, I would say. Mm. You should have been Ben's parents. I mean, from the from the moment he could, I don't want to embarrass my son, but from the moment he oh, could talk, it's, a, it's okay. I understand. <laughs> yeah, I, I do it all the time. We're friends on Facebook, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, right. I forgot about that. Uh, from the moment he could talk, just about all these amazing things would come out of his mouth, you know. And I had long ago learned to respect that kind of thing, and so I think we had a great relationship as far as honesty coming up in, in uh, as you grew up and uh, being very honest about these things then by the time you were 13 you joined me in my uh, adventures here and we've been kind of having them ever since 13 years ago yeah yeah I Time mean I, as as a child who was it was I think it was it was good to encourage honesty in all, all respects because I think I think as a person I, gr- I grew up to sort of you know encourage other people to be honest too so it's like you know in all in all areas including you know if if you do experience something something weird or paranormal or or whatnot you know it becomes a part of everyday life and it mm. shouldn't it shouldn't be construed as like oh wow well, it's just something weird that like you know just doesn't always happen it's like you know how the west views the world is very strange to me mm. i've been i've been thinking about that a lot this week and how how odd everything is in this culture that it's like you know there's a there's like a weird weird emphasis put on spiritualism, but when you know something odd actually happens, it's like oh, all right, well you know that's just something that can be explained away by science. So it's like, so which is it? You can't have your cake and eat it too. You, it's either everything's materialistic or everything's spiritual. You can't really like. If it doesn't fit the paradigm, just dismiss it, and that's just yeah. not the way to go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think I think when things do s- tend to happen outside, you know, someone's realm of understanding, it's sort of pushed back, and it's like, all right, well, you know, you got to look at it like, you know, it could just it, it could just be swamp gas. You never know. <laughs> like it's you know, rather than the world being a magical place, 
filled with filled with things that are you know part of nature that are that are considered paranormal rather than experiencing the world as a whole you sort of block yourself off from it mm, that's well put i think i think yeah. it probably shuts off a child's creativity too it's searched to yeah. wonder because they're afraid of retribution mm-hmm so let's get it. Though if you look behind Ben uh, when the camera's on him, if you're on a device that can receive the video feed, we have Lynn's book, Gateway to the Paranormal, which we'll begin to talk about right now. Ooh. So, Lynn, um, tell us about the book. And it, I will say one thing. It is very poignant, and Ooh. I felt like I was by your side oh, when I was reading it. It, was just, it really kind of touched me, the way you wrote it. So tell us yeah. what's in the book. And the experience, some of the the, the um, more significant experiences that you that you record in. in okay, the, um, the inspiration for the book was basically taken from Fate magazine. Um, they've got two departmental features in their their magazine, and one of them is like my proof of survival and um, odd, strange experiences. I'm not remembering the second department, but people write in about all of their little experiences, and that to me is was the most fascinating part of the magazine. There are all kinds of authors that touch on many different paranormal subjects or subjects of the unknown or cons- conspiracies, but it's the um, the personal accounts that I just found captivating. So I got to thinking, you know, I've got a lot of things I would like to write about, so I think I'm going to not just make short little anecdotal um, narratives. I'm going to make them into a story, give a little background as to what happened, and then offer a little bit of research and possibilities. I don't draw hard conclusions. But my feeling is these things are out there, and in recognizing it, I think it helps to promote um, accelerated consciousness, heightening your consciousness, when you start recognizing that the paranormal does exist. Mm -hmm. One question that we always ask, because I always ask myself these questions, and so does Ben, is when you're having these experiences, how do you know you're interpreting them properly? How do you know you're really getting it right? Uh, or whether you're not speaking to another aspect of yourself? I think all of us ask those. So what, what's your answer to that? Well, I'm a skeptic. And, you know, in our natural 3D world, we, we may misinterpret something. But sometimes things are just too strange that don't fit into our regular 3D world. And um, you have to start investigating that. So I, I constantly read of other people's experiences. And everyone experiences the paranormal in a different way. There are a lot of similarities, but everyone has their own story. And I got to thinking... You know, I've experienced a lot of this, and it starts broadening my awareness of what's out there. But you can't take everything for granted that it's paranormal. Do a little research. Um, write things down. Write dates, times. Mm. You know, everything that's relative to the circumstances at the time, and see if you can refute it yourself. Okay. Uh, before we get into dreams, we talked about getting into dreams. Um, there are a couple of... Uh, points, I guess, that I wanted to touch personally. One is the southwestern sky. Oh. Now, just just we happened to be talking one day, and you said that that, that meant something to you. You were always drawn to the southwestern part of the sky. And I have been, too. I don't... That, yeah, I, I, I have an idea why that might be, but what, what what do you think is happening with that? Well, as a child, I didn't understand it. Um... 
that was the summer that my youngest brother was born, so my mother was very occupied with him, and I was by myself an awful lot that summer. And I felt very isolated, and I felt that I wasn't human. I came to the conclusion that maybe I looked like I had bones and skin, but inside me they wouldn't find guts and blood. I didn't believe I was human. Mm. And I was always drawn to a section in the southwestern sky from where we lived at that time. So I never really knew the answer to that. I just felt different. And it wasn't a special different. It was a very isolating different. I felt isolated from other people. Yeah. Yeah, because I kind of did too. But I I suspect, well, first of all, there's no fixed point in space. No. Uh, Southwest, you know, the the Earth is moving at over 1,000 miles an hour. We're spinning, you know, there are things going around. As a matter of fact, if you look at an accurate representation of what we actually look like, it looks like an atom. The Earth is kind of zooming along, and the planets are kind of going around kind of like electrons and trying to keep up, almost. Well, so, this was summertime in New England, so it was a southwestern sky yeah. in the summertime in New England. When I, and I, I want to, I don't know if uh, Willie has any thoughts on this, but, uh, but do you think I, we're both nuts or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. But I, I can't say that I've ever experienced anything, yeah, anything like that myself. Mm-hmm. It, it was 1967. Uh, I was, be- it was um, that spring. Um, I know 1966. I'm sorry, because I was in seventh grade or eighth grade, and uh, I was in the Boy Scouts. And uh, two of the fellows were over at, we had a, our troop meeting, and they came over to my house in East Hartford, Connecticut after that. We were outside in the yard. It was getting dark. We were just talking. And in the southwestern sky, there were, there's something I have I, I never se- heard of even before or, or seen the like of before or since. There were huge, I, I suppose I can call them rosettes, mm-hmm. that started blooming and some of them were absolutely huge and we're staring at this we were frightened we said is this the end of the world or what my dad i never even heard of it there weren't there was no sound was it like fireworks with no sound uh it was like giant flowers and some wow. of them were really huge i said what the hey is this and it went on for about 10 minutes that one after the other of different sizes one was really huge and we were ready to start running because it looked like it was going to, you know, was coming mm-hmm. for us, you know. So I called, I didn't know what else to do. I called the National Guard base at, you Brad- did? at Bradley International Airport across the river. And I, and I couldn't get through. The line was busy, right? <laughs> so in ensuing, I never did find out. There was, uh, there was nothing in the paper about it. And I later found out that supposedly uh, the, they were launching uh, rockets from, there, there was a little known launch site off the coast of Virginia, which oh. still exists, Wallops Island. And mm-hmm. in fact, Stan Friedman, in our first conversation, told me about Wallops Island, right? And supposedly they had launched some rockets, and, and there was some kind of thing that, that they had let off into the atmosphere. And it wasn't quite the right direction. From where I was, it would, that would have been more or less due south. So I don't really know what the story was. I've never seen anything like it since. Uh, I have heard of things, I guess, like this happening, but that's, I wonder if that's not why I'm captivated by the southwestern sky, but even today, I look out my window, and I'm always drawn to that part of the sky, and I don't really know why. I have, mm. as you have, Lynn, uh, felt a little bit 
or sometimes a lot out of place. Yeah. But maybe that's my seminary education. <laughs> I don't know. Well, how about you as a child, though? Did you have that feeling of isolation yeah, as yeah, a child? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I was always, uh, I was always the sort of person who really didn't need friends. You know, I, I had a few. We yeah. Boy Scouts. And they, my mother, my mother made me join the Scouts, which I, I was <laughs> grateful for. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, and then later the the seminary, military, and all kinds of things. But um, but I do relate to what you you kind of said. But people at this point probably don't understand what we're talking. Wait, were you? Uh, did you say you were fifteen when you saw the rosettes in the sky? Oh no, no, that was more. I was more like thirteen. Oh, thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever see anything like that? Never. Huh. Yeah, I've seen various things, but not that. That sounds beautiful, really. It was very beautiful, although frightening. But I, I suppose the rocket stuff in the atmosphere thing, I suppose, holds water. But uh, you'd think that that sort of thing would be, or unless I don't know, it just it was some sort of experiment. Uh, I think it was swamp gas. Yeah, precisely. Yes. <laughs> well, you think they would have alerted people on the East Coast if they're going to do things like that? Not if it was secret military. No, I suppose well, it wasn't very not. Secret. Yeah, that's true. The Boy Scouts know all about it. Hmm. Well, anyway, so uh, as far as um, more items in, in your book, um, as you got older, did you continue to feel kind of isolated? And did, did you feel, and this is the root question of the show, that your gifts were a blessing or a curse or sometimes one or the other or not? You know, what, what did you think about I that? I was always intrigued with mystery. I love psychological thrillers and mystery. So whatever I experienced, I, I wanted to understand it. The curse part of it could be when you've got the awareness that something may happen to a loved one. That's just unnerving and daunting. And from that regard, that could be considered a curse. Other than that, the rest of it is just... Um, a world opening up before you, you know, it's knowledge if you seek it out. So the fact that you're given, you know, glimpses of this stuff, you have the option to pursue it and try and understand it. And every time I do that, worlds open up to me and I get answers. They may not be answers to my questions, but they help me understand. They may not be a direct answer, but they help me understand. Do you ever find that... Um other people are receiving the same impression. In other words, th- does the feeling of isolation, I know with me sometimes, it, it, I'm wondering if, if other people have, who communicate with you say, I have the same impression, or maybe we should get together on this to help someone, that sort of thing, or is it pretty much internal with yourself, as it is with me? Well, I'm not a social outcast, but... Um, no, not <laughs> <laughs> I do pick up things on people which alert me to beware and to stay clear. Mm-hmm. So I'm always very leery of people. The but thing with me, in the seminary, uh, that's a no-no. You know, I know. I would always uh, bury those feelings. And I put a lot of this in the next book that just went to the publisher. But, and and I, would, I would feel guilty for being judgmental and of course that this would be to my cost because You're human. I, that really yeah. that ticks me off because judgmental should not be looked at so harshly discernment you have to be That's able to right. discern especially if you're a parent yes yeah because it wasn't a parent then and even when it could regard your own safety you have to yeah. be able to discern if that's judgmental then 
Well, too bad. It's a survival instinct. I think it is. A, it is. I think there's a difference in definition between judging and discerning. Yeah. You know, right. if, you, if you meet someone and get to know them and discern, well, I probably shouldn't be around this person rather than, I hate that guy's shoes. You were him. Yeah, you were I always like that, yeah, then, in the sense that you, you always were very careful about your friends. I think something that stood you in good stead and made parenting you a lot easier than it could have been. Um, That's a good point. I think you used very good judgment, and I think you used your gifts, whether you knew it or not, if I may say, and uh, made some good decisions because stop of Stop saying <laughs> Too late. <laughs> So being judgmental, I just think that's um, that's a bit harsh. Yeah. But yeah. if you're prejudicial and it's not founded, it's unfounded. That's not the way to go. Yeah, well, I think judgmental is is implies a sense of arrogance and superiority mm, that yeah. we hope is not present when it comes when you from get these ego. Impressions. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ego can really cloud the judgment. Yeah, it sure can. Yeah. Willie, what are you thinking over there? Yeah, he's taking a nap. He's, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Long drive. But, um, okay, well, we're going to take our um, our break, bottom of the hour break, and I'd like to get into dreams and UFOs, things like that. If we could. Oh, great. All right. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal on WOON at 1240 AM and 99.3 FM, FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Frank Prizens, and I'm host of It's Your Business, Mondays at 2 p.m. We'll explore everything that's involved in business in this community, but you know what? Everything is about business. Tune in on Mondays here on ON Radio. Well, there's there's Frank giving us the business. Anyway, welcome back <laughs> to Behind the, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON AM and FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We have a number of charities the show has adopted, Ben and I have adopted, and you can find those on our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And uh, they're, they're charities, uh, we have vetted very carefully, and as a matter of fact, we know the people who run them, such as uh, Help for Haiti's Orphans, uh, char- uh, charities of that kind, and locally, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Uh, they're good people, good charities, and money goes where uh, you intended to. So we'll mention those at the, toward the end of the show. Meanwhile, let's get back to our conversation with, with Willie Hassel and Lynn Nickerson here and the core of our conversation today, Lynn's new book, uh, The uh, Gateway to the Paranormal. And um, wh- why don't we, first of all, before we burn up the hour, Lynn, tell us about the book, where people can get it, uh, and okay. your websites, both of you, and things of that kind before, as I say, okay. well, we still have time. Well, it's certainly available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback. And um, it's carried locally by a couple of um, stores in Exeter and Portsmouth. But you can go to my website. That's New Hampshire, not England. Right, right. We have right. a lot of British listeners. <laughs> it does make a difference. Yeah. <clears throat> com, And then, uh, Willie? Um, well, my uh, website would be Willie Hassel. That's uh, Willie spelled W-I-L-L-Y, H-A-S-S-E-L-L dot net, rather, not dot com. Mm. And that is the uh, the website for Spirit Chasers Paranormal, which is a paranormal organization, and also for the uh, Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience. Now, Willie, you wanted to, I'm sorry, you no, wanted to promote the alliance as well, uh, something I was not too familiar with. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to screw up all the names on this. Maybe Lynn can help me, I hope. <laughs> uh, but we recently, you know, Spirit Chasers Paranormal teamed up with uh, Essex County Ghost Project and Tom Spitaleri. Tom Spitaleri's group, yeah. Yep. And uh, he, this was his brainchild. He 
wanted to form an alliance of different paranormal groups uh, around the Northeast to work together. And so it is the Regional Paranormal Alliance of the Northeast. And it consists of, right now, Essex County Ghost Projects, Spirit Chasers Paranormal, Connecticut Paranormal Research Team, uh, Granite Sky Services, Mike Stevens, mm-hmm. Willie Miranda, mm-hmm. and what is Rocky Salem Salem Ghost? I believe I it is. Don't know who it is. Um, I I think that's everybody. I don't think okay. I left well, all, all friends of ours or acquaintances at least. Very good. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, well, best of luck with that. Um, oh, well, thank you. Okay. So dreams, Lynn. Oh. You've got some thoughts on dreams that are very interesting. Um, I think there are many types of dreams. I think we all dream. Sometimes dreams are just dreams. But then I also believe that when we're asleep, we are allowed to enter an altered state. Um, I think we can be given information that might be precognitive, uh, information that might appear in the way of warnings. Sometimes it's all symbolic, but when you wake up, you can figure it out. Um, And also, too, I think that we experience maybe even multiple dimensions within one dream at a time. So, any thoughts on that, Paul? (laughs) Oh, I've always got thoughts on something. I don't know if they're right or not. Uh, Yeah, I mean, one of the things... Now, you've sat through hundreds of our lectures. We've been on your show lots of times. This is your second time on this show. Certainly, there'll be many more. But... We happen to, uh, and as a matter of fact, I was I was surprised uh, to find out that several other people back in the old days, because I, I, this is my going into my 49th year of um, researching the paranormal, for better or for worse, got me thrown out of the seminary. But <laughs> um, the, the whole dream thing is very interesting. I think as, as an example of just what you say, I think the parallel world thing is a far better way to explain paranormal phenomena than some of the old 19th century ways that because they didn't know about these things. Uh, when I was uh, an editor at the Providence Journal, they put out the morning paper the previous evening, so I would have a very broken sleep schedule. I would come home about 1 or 2 in the morning, uh, and I would go to sleep, but I'd, I'd get up early, because my wife worked at the law firm 9 to 5, and get Ben's brother and Ben to the school bus mm-hmm. at their respective ages, and then I would sleep a little bit in the afternoon before I went back to the journal to make up for the sleep. So I, I would remember a lot more dreams than, I, as I understand, than many people would. And I'd write them all down. And I have a a, a, a 15-year dream record. Do you really? Yes, that I've kept. And good when for you. I That's read, good. I would write them down right away before I forgot them. And when I read them today, it's as if I was right there, even if they were really? years and years ago. It's just a matter of, of jogging, I guess, the memory. I would find that I would have whole memories of whole worlds. Uh, for example, there is a uh, cafe on a street corner at some village in Pennsylvania, and my wife and I will stop there every now and then. I don't know where we're coming from, where we're going, but we know certain people. We have whole, well, I don't know if my wife does, but I have whole memories of that world. Uh, sometimes there are worlds that are quite different that I have memories of. And I think I only remember that because of the sleep. Now, maybe the whole thing's an illusion. I don't know. But I think that uh, that's why I relate to what you say about the parallel world uh, memories. So you feel very unusual sleep schedule. you accessed a parallel reality for yourself, Many. right? I, I take it you've never actually been to this cafe. Mm. No. 
No. Oh, that's I, I amazing. I get to Pennsylvania a lot lately yeah. because of the uh, case we're working right. there in Western Pennsylvania. But before that, I didn't go there that much. That's amazing. Do you felt that it was like a contemporary parallel life? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the way I look at the way we look at parallel worlds that they could be in the past, they could be in the future, but they're all parallel. I mean, what did Einstein prove in 1952? Essentially, that all time is 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 contemporary. All time is. Uh, simultaneous. We just experience it past the future because that's our that's the, the way we just experience it. It's a function. I don't know if I. I think that there may be parallel universes for one of our personality sets, and I think that there can be a combination or an interfacing of different timelines. Sure. And I'll give an example of that. The the story in here about the lottery house. That was in a dream. Book, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back in time. I visited a location I'd never been to before. Um, I woke up and I found myself flying around this house. And it was like a summer residence um, that overlooked a long field and a bluff that overlooked a river. It was a year and a half before I actually found the house. Never seen it before. Wow. And one of the, the most remarkable things about it was outside of the house, there was a little stone wall in front of it, and it was cut in half by a walkway. It was kind of like a, a Victorian or New Englander, built about the late uh, 1800s. Um, the lilac bushes around the house were all small. So when I found the house, it was uh, facing the bluff of a river, and the lilac bushes were all grown. And it was the house with the stone wall. The only difference was that there were about three more houses in the area that weren't in the dream. So I went somewhere, and I eventually found it. So why that house and why that dream, I don't know. I asked one of the longtime neighbors if they knew the history on the house. And at the time, I was living in Atlantic Heights, and it was built for the First World War shipyard workers during the First World War. This house had preceded that by maybe 20 years or so. And he said, oh, yeah, he says, I'm familiar with that house. He said it used to be occupied by a widow. She was an older woman. And then one day she won the lottery. And then she moved to Florida. I thought, that's a wonderful story, but why did I visit that house? Mm. What is the connection? That, that's a question that arises in some yeah. of our cases. Yeah. What the purpose? Uh, yeah. You know? um, why, for example, well, you're familiar, you've heard us talk a hundred times about the York Harbor incident of 1979. Yes, mm-hmm. that's a good uh, example. Yeah. Great story. Um, you know, what, what was the connection between this young girl... In, at the University of Connecticut, yep. in stores, at 120 miles away, in this this ordinary ranch house in New York Harbor, uh, Maine, and um, but the people were seeing her. They thought she was a ghost. She was dead. She was having mm-hmm. dreams of the same things they were, although at different times than they than they were seeing. It, it was I, I suppose I've figured it out in all these you know 40 odd years. Uh, that it's a parallel world thing. It's a but parallel why world that house, thing. Why those people? And they met. I know that it's so strange. That, that is so you know, strange. And then everything stopped. As soon as they met, there were no more phenomena. You know? Yep, it's yep. It's like that little, um, I don't know, the paradigm just kind of dropped away, didn't it? Yeah, or the, or the, the wave function collapsed, as yeah, a exactly. might say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> See, it looks to me that that was a parallel universe for both of those yeah. people. 
and that it was something that that woman had to work out and that for some reason her consciousness was allowing the interfacing of those two parallel worlds. Yeah. Because I don't think they so were in the past and they weren't in the future. They were happening now. Yes. And so and when, when they both met, essentially, uh, wouldn't you think that maybe whatever it was that either one of them needed or was looking for was completed then. Seemingly, and there was, yeah. And there was no reason well, the to, be, to continue The funny on. thing was, that in, in the dreams, she was having these vivid dreams, she was the, um, that was her house, she was a mother and she had two children. Mm-hmm. And two children, yeah. yeah. And the people who lived in the house didn't have any children, you know. It could be that she might have been married in that, or not. Yeah, yeah. And it was just a different path that part of her soul mm-hmm. took to work out stuff simultaneously. Ben, you have any thoughts on this? You're uh, sitting there quietly running... Uh, running the show here. Well, you know, I have my brain working in three different dimensions currently. <laughs> between between running the cameras, running the board, multitasking, multitasking, not bad. What one of the when it really gets weird is when you run into non-humans. Uh, yeah. I have I have a long chapter um series of chapters in my I'm supposed to be talking about your book, but my next book uh, which Ben is sitting out because most of it happened before he was born, so it's just my line. Yeah, <laughs> although it's dedicated to you, gave Aww. me a chance to dedicate Aww. it to you. Okay, that's so sweet. Um, of uh, non-human contacts, multiversal contacts th- that I interpret a certain way, and that sometimes um, I couldn't communicate with because they didn't speak English. Well, are you revising I'm your feeling on what you thought it was they were? Well, what I was revising was uh, the fact that I, I, especially the exorcism chapter in the beginning, things mm-hmm. that I have worked very hard to bury, and I had to dig out old notes. Uh, and it, it's been, I hated writing this book. I hated Did you it. Really? Why? Because I feel because of touching the old memories. Nerves. Yeah. Now there are many memories that were neutral, yeah. but in the beginning, you know, working on the, at the state hospital with the priest and the exorcism is very difficult. Uh, remember, you were weren't you there at the KRI Center when I, the first time I ever lectured on on that? Yes. Yeah. So uh, I was watching your face, as a matter of fact, and you were very sympathetic. Thank you. Um, you kind of referring to the the creatures that had bone structures like birds. Oh yeah, well that was a, that was in seventy four at the Bridgeport. Okay. That was a shake up thing. I get the scariest things in the paranormal. Maybe you agree, both of you, is, is not things that are overtly scary, but things that shatter your belief system. Yeah. And make you realize that you don't really know anything about what's going on. Yep. You know, so, so that really happened. But, but the exorcisms that was very difficult. Um, but the, some of the non-human contacts, and and the technique that I developed that I don't like to use very very seldom. You haven't used it in years, uh, for simply being in a meditative state and then getting into uh, uh, communication with what I think of as neighbors, who maybe who probably don't speak English. Or who speak a, a language I know, but in a very strange way, it can be very, very. It can, it's a lot of work. It can take days uh, of intermittent sessions, and especially when you're sitting in the middle of a psychiatric hospital in a little room, and the mm-hmm. staff is wondering what you're doing there when you're not making pastoral visits as a seminary student. Uh, there, there was a lot of there were a lot of funny uh, in, uh, scrapes I got into just trying to keep this stuff secret. But um, well, the, anyway. the, the trouble, the dilemma that that poses is these people they act a certain way or they hear voices. The thing is, they probably are. I mean, they probably are hearing voices, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't hear them and that they're crazy. It's just that because of their state of mind, they are open to it, and Precisely. it's there. Well, when I dug up my old notes from the exorcisms, there were five of the seven people 
I helped the priest with, who were having UFO experiences oh. and uh, had seen alien, what we would today call aliens. And I pointed this out to the priest, Father Lawrence Cotter, and he said, well, in so many words, he said, well, I wouldn't pay attention to that. These people are, are in a psychiatric hospital, so they're kind of officially bonkers anyway. He was a very compassionate spiritual man, but he didn't think, he attributed everything to demons. He didn't think that... that yeah, they do the equated yeah. demons. And had I, had I known then what I believe I know now, I would have taken the UFO thing very seriously. Yeah. You know, uh, because as we talk about very often on your show and this one, the um, crossover phenomena are something that's being paid attention to now. You know, people who have abduction experiences and then have poltergeist activity in their houses, things of that kind, or vice versa. Um, so what are your thoughts on... Uh, on that sort of thing when it comes to UFOs and connections and that sort of business. Well, what I was going to say, just backing up a little bit, that non-human stuff, um, sometimes things appear to you in dreams that I feel have been sent by evil forces. One of them was that the case of the black hands in the book, that I woke up in the middle of the night, yeah. and there were black hands that were human and animal. Mm-hmm. and they were pulling the sheets off my bed. Now, that was really quite frightening, but I knew that if I held my own and and offered equal force to the hands, that I knew I could win. So I did. But what was that? You know, what what was what was on the yeah. end of those two hands that weren't human? Well, I like your thoughts of both of you on this. Um, that's fair warning, Willie. Uh, on the issue of being on the cusp of sleep, coming out of sleep or just going into it and it's very often you know we all hear this that I was I woke up and I saw the shadow person at the bottom of my bed or mm. the hands or uh, in one case in 1998 somebody had the uh, hands around their neck and I actually we, I actually put somebody in the room with her and she was a witness to this person waking and, and the person's turn the light had the marks of hands the marks yeah, yeah. But the, the, the observer couldn't see anything what are your thoughts on um how legitimate things are when you're almost asleep. Well, you're you're in that state where you're really receptive. Yeah, yeah. To something happening yeah. like that. Um, what makes it difficult to understand is the fact that you don't see anything, nothing physical, and yet you get physical results. That's hard to deal with. Yeah. Or when you get a, a woman recently, a, the weaver at the James House Museum, she was pushed off the stool. Well, she was weaving. Where is the James House Museum? In, what was that? Where is the James House Museum? In Hampton, New Hampshire. Yeah, for those who might not know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So she's a weaver, and there's a big loom there, and she was sitting there weaving. She often gives demonstrations for people interested in historic and antiquity. Mm -hmm. And she got knocked off her stool recently. Wow. Yeah, she was was just there by herself, just working on the the loom. And she, she won't go back again now, I guess. Yeah. So, on the UFO issue, and this is for both of you, uh, what, um, we, we are, are hanging around in New Hampshire a lot up in your neck of the woods in yeah. Maine, uh, because, uh, I'm often saying we should move up there, because we, half our lectures are up there. Mm. And, uh, we rub elbows with a lot of folks who are UFO researchers. Mm. Uh, I guess we are too, in a way, because we keep running into it. Uh, so, what, what are your thoughts on, um, the, the UFO phenomenon in its connection with, uh, and we've talked to started to talk about this already, in its connection with uh, the ghost phenomenon, uh, personal contacts with people, messages, things of that kind. Um, 
what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have an opinion? Um, well, there certainly would seem to be a, some sort of a connection. Personally, I can't say that I've... Well, the technical term UFO, yes, okay, I've seen something, but I, you know, I don't, I've never seen anything that yeah. I would say, ooh, that's, you know, extraterrestrial. And your area is a hot spot. Yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. 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 Um, the one thing I, I did see when I was uh, about a teenager, I guess, growing up in Newburyport, Mass., but I, I, I wouldn't say it was a UFO. Yeah. And, but from everything that I've heard, there definitely does seem to be that connection. Mm-hmm. Where there's one, there's often the other one. Yeah. So now this is a question. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, how about electromagnetism? I think that plays a part in it once oh, you've sure. been exposed to that realm. Yeah. No, it's very true. One of the things that we've been, uh, what we always find is, uh, and everybody, uh, not everybody, but just about everybody in the, particularly the ghost field, uses uh, electromagnetic field meters, which is essentially yes. an engineer's tool to tell if your electrical system is leaking and isn't insulated properly, say, things like that. Uh, you get some interesting results if you stand under high tension wires in some areas with that. Uh, but people somehow somebody lit on that as a, a ghost detection tool, which is I think I, I think they're all based nonsense. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I find interesting is when I first got a digital one, and the field goes into the negative range, which means the polarity on the electrical field is reversed. That's that is odd. really strange. That is odd. That happened just we were in the Pennsylvania case just uh, back in May, and we were down at this brook, and this is with Alexander Petikoff and Shane Searway. Uh, oh, yeah. Good friends of ours who were working in the field. If we, if we have a team, I guess they're part of it, but we don't have anything formal. And uh, they were looking up; at, they were getting some trail cams up uh, this brook. And all of a sudden, my meter goes into the negative range, and I thought it was moving. And there was no electrical source for this because there are natural fields as well yeah. that it was moving, and uh, next to water, of course, and then it disappeared. And people had a lot of Bigfoot sightings in that area. So what, what, was it a, in the traditional sense a portal? We call it an intersect point. Who knows? But it was very interesting. What do you think, Ben? What do you think about that, the negative aspect of that? Well, I think, um, well, I, have, I have opinions on it. I like to think that, I, don't know, I, was just, I just got distracted by a thought about who the first person to bring an EMF meter was, or if it was just some, some guy who was, who was, you know, some, like, engineer or whatever who just happened to be hunting ghosts and he just like <laughs> looked in his pocket and he was like oh this is going off yeah let's use this yeah I, I, I was like it's like you know the first person who came up with the idea of cake like who who thinks of that was well that Tesla Antoinette? was working on that stuff a long time ago and then oh, people yeah. started using yes. his principles so yeah yeah yeah. oh yeah Nikola Tesla was definitely yeah, we're doing a show on Tesla in a few oh I know yeah. he was he was a genius and a madman he mad was man. he was and That's sometimes it's the same thing yeah yeah, yeah. 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 well yeah he was Eastern European, so there's there they do have that trait. They're either they're either really dumb or really smart. There's really like no in between there. Well, there so you go. did you think right. it was a portal? Actually, is that what you thought? I think uh, yeah, probably because uh, some of the Bigfoot sightings mm. over there would knock your socks off. That seems to be the theme of the Pennsylvania Triangle: the Bigfoot and UFOs, and and we have seen both. Uh, you could. Uh, yeah. I've, I've talked about it. Shane uh, had a Bigfoot sight, and so did yeah. I. Yeah. I believe that's what it was. I uh, think they're related. Plain sight. Yeah. Well, something yeah. relative to that was the mothership in my book. Mm-hmm. When I did the research on it, 
I found out that where I was living was considered to be a portal area by this guy who does a lot of research out there in Arizona. When I had the dream, it was very different from the rest of the sightings in that everything around me, the walls and ceiling, were translucent, but I could not, my gaze could not penetrate the ship that was above me. Hmm. And then everything was uh, telepathic, the communication, and I thought, I'm going to watch this thing take off, so I ran to the window, and it took off really quickly, and it blinked out. But the point being, that was an odd, altered state of reality. After that, I didn't have anything magnetic happen, but I did get very sick Mm -hmm. that lasted for three weeks. So well, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That used to happen to uh, one of one of my mentors. You get really it sick does. afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Although I I was told that that would happen to me, but I was a vegetarian at the time. Wasn't that interesting? Uh, that yeah. was the Aztec shaman uh, Ruben, our good yeah. friend, who was your mentor. Yeah, and he it was ate meat, and there was all kind of, he'd have nausea and stuff. But you never did after you stopped eating meat. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what did uh, whoever advised you about getting sick, what did they attribute that to? I don't know. It just sort of happened. He never really, like, gave explanations for things. It yeah. just sort of happened. Usually he would, it's he would, give ex- he would give explanations, but it was he was just like, eh. It's information not in context necessarily or not explained. Not really explained, you know. Yeah. There are some things that are just mysterious. And yeah, if, you, if, you, if you touch a shaman, at least my understanding, in that state, you yourself will become nauseous, which is why when you collapsed in that parking lot at Rendlesham Forest, oh yeah, uh, everybody, I told everybody, do not touch him. You'll you'll get sick. And he does this. He'll come out in about two or three minutes. That's while all the dogs uh, up and down the road were starting to howl as soon as you went down. Well, he was, was in a, an altered state, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, the people around him, I think there would have been some kind of retribution if they tried to. Impinge on that uh, altered state. Oh yeah, it's no bueno. Yeah, there, w- there wasn't the interlacing. Otherwise, I don't think they would get sick. I'm not really sure. No one's ever really tried because I always told totally was dead. Don't, don't do yeah. it. But I mean, I don't yeah. know. It's been it's been a while. Sort of put the stuff on the back burner. It's, uh, I don't know. It's not. It's it's one thing to incorporate it into your everyday life, and it's another thing to like bring it out every now and then. I think. Part of the human existence is, is, or well, well, part of existing period is accepting it as a whole, and rather than compartmentalizing it and pushing it into separate areas. Like, all right, well, I'm this person at work. I'm this person here. I'm this person that when I do this works. radio show. No, never works. Mm. So I mean, you know, I it's it, it's like putting on masks for different things. Either you accept it as a whole, or you know, um, just tear yourself apart. Well, the you more you analyze it. Well, I think you probably have to keep the same face. Just don't uh, let go of the same information for everybody. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we're just about out of time, unfortunately. Uh, a couple of things we wanted to get into with that next time. So give us your website websites again, please, and where people can get the book. Okay. Yeah. Well, Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience, can be caught on WSCAFM.org. Uh, on Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. And then we've got Paranormal UK Radio Network, and that's uh, the following Tuesday at 9 p.m. And that's paukradio.com. And my website is uh, lynn, with an E, M, Nickerson.com. Very good. And my website is Willie, W-I-L-L-Y, Hassel, two S's, two L's, dot net. And that's where you can find information about spirit chases and... Spirit Radio, and the uh, Northeast 
Paranormal Alliance is I-P-A-N-E dot com. Very good. Okay, Ben, let's take away the announcements here. Alrighty, so in less than two weeks on uh, Wednesday, July 11th, so we will we will be at the Far Out Diner in uh, Dover, New Hampshire at 6.30 p.m. to join the Talking Saucers uh, meetup group. And uh, we won't be making any special presentations, so we will not be the center of attention. Uh, <laughs> but we will be hobnobbing uh, with UFO experiencers and enthusiasts, and uh, we'll certainly enjoy the great food at this event-themed, or UFO-themed diner. Uh, and the evening is sponsored by Seacoast Saucers of New England. W- Willie and Lynn, will you be there? I hope to. Good. Oh, that'll be wonderful. Okay. On Saturday, July 21st, Ben and I will be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut to present a program on Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of based on our 2017 book of the same subtitle. This is free and open to the public, but registration is required. Go to danburylibrary.org and click on the View Calendar link. Now, on Labor Day weekend, September 1st and 2nd, we'll be back at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire. Along with ourselves, speakers will include Richard Dolan, Kathleen Marden, Peter Robbins, and others. Our subject on Saturday will be Aliens and Exorcism, Why Do Quote-Unquote Possessed People Report UFO Experiences? Unquote. On Sunday, we'll do our third annual on-location broadcast from Exeter Town Hall with a panel of the speakers and the live audience. That's always a lot of fun. Uh, the audience gets into it. We we have um, we communicate with them by the uh, by means of the projector screen, and uh, we have applause and letters nine feet high. They all go crazy. And and Peter Robbins said, "Oh, well, when I speak, well, that's how you get them to applaud." I said, oh, "Okay, well, just just do that." You don't shine the lights in their eyes, do you? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, we won't talk about that, <laughs> especially not in the air. That's embarrassing. Anyway, this event is a great uh, annual fundraiser for the Kiwanis Club in the area and their children's charities in southern New Hampshire. Last year it raised over $9,000. Find out more at ExeterUFOFestival.org. The 2018 MUFON Symposium takes place at the Crown Plaza Philadelphia in Cherry Hill, New Jersey on July 27th to 29th. Uh, Ben and I I aren't speaking this year, but it's a great event, and it's rarely on the East Coast. So check it out at MUFONSymposium.com, MUFON being the Mutual UFO Network, very credible organization. Alrighty, then on Columbus Day weekend on October 5th and 6th, we'll once again be at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts. So we're not sure about our topic yet, but stay tuned. And all three of our panelists from our 10th anniversary show uh, two weeks ago will be speaking there as well, along with a number of great presenters. So you can find more at NewEnglandUFO.com. Hey, uh, my next book, be, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds, has gone to the publisher. Not sure how soon it will be released or even if that title will remain intact. Uh, but we will keep you posted on that. And uh, certainly check out our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can uh, get our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. It's available in most stores. And you can get it online at Amazon. Or uh, we'll be happy to autograph it if you buy it at the... Um, Behind the Paranormal website, where you can also find over 760 hours, if you have the time, of shows from our um, 10 years on the air uh, here on ON, AM, and FM, and uh, CBS Radio as well. And a few of our books are on Kindle now, yes? Uh, yes, uh, the um, the Schiffer book is on Kindle now. Excellent. Yes, that, that took a long time. So, um, okay. Uh, what do we have next week, Ben? So next week, July 8th, uh, we'll bring you an open line show to answer the plethora of questions from our listeners on all paranormal subjects, and we will be joined by our popular guest co-host, Shane Searway. Okay, very quick quote from Oscar Wilde, of all people. With freedom, books, flowers, and the moon, who could not be happy? Sounds just like him. Mm. I'm Paul Eno. 
And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.